Well, grace, peace, and love to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, one verse. Thank you, Jeff. One verse. We're going to do a topical sermon out of one verse. I'm so glad to see you all here today on this Lord's Day. What a blessing it is that we can come together as a family and worship the Lord. Since we essentially celebrate Christ's birth, ministry, death, burial, and resurrection every Sunday, I normally do not change the scripture series that we are in to preach a special holiday sermon. I normally just continue preaching in the book that I'm in and studying at the time. However, today we're giving Pastor Dan a well-deserved breather. So I'm going to preach from Luke chapter 2 and talk to you all about young Jesus and the business of the church. Now you might think today we're going to be having a business meeting. No, today's sermon is not about the commercial or economic nature of the church. Today we're going to talk about the other definition of business. We're going to be talking about the immediate pursuit, task, or objective for the church. So what is the business of the church? And why is it so important that every Christian in the church make it their business? And how do we make it our business? Well, let me tell you a little story first. Like good parents... Mary and Joseph went to the feast of the Passover every year. And then when Jesus was 12, they took him with them on the journey from Nazareth to Jerusalem. And when the feast was over, they just packed everything up and left for home. Since they were traveling with a group of probably family and friends and neighbors, they weren't real worried about the fact that they didn't see Jesus traveling with them. They thought that Jesus was with what the ESV puts, relatives or acquaintances. They did not know that Jesus stayed in Jerusalem. They couldn't find him, so they went back to Jerusalem, and they searched for him. And in verse 46 of Luke chapter 2 tells us that after three days, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers and listening to them and asking them questions. Jesus, being about 12 years old and having wisdom and piety poured out upon him, he had gone to the temple where learning should take place and spoke to the teachers and rabbis there. Who better to interpret the secrets of the Father than the Son? For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, according to the King James Version. Um, ESV puts it, the fullness, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. But the Amplified, which I sometimes like to read because it explains things a little better, the Amplified says this, the Godhead continues to dwell in bodily form, giving complete expression of the divine nature. See, he was both God and man from the beginning, 
That's called hypostatic union, but that's a sermon for another day. And then in verse 47, goes on to tell us that all who heard him were amazed with his understanding and his answers. All of them were astonished. In the Greek, the wording is they were outside of themselves with admiration. They couldn't contain all their admiration. They were outside of themselves with admiration. They were so full of admiration. They were so completely taken aback that this 12-year-old who had never been to university could answer and silence all these great teachers and rabbis. How is it that this young man has learning when he never studied? While they were speculating that, his parents, who had been looking for him for three days, in verse 48, and when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. In other words, Boy, what had you, why have you put us to all this trouble looking for you? Son, you had us so worried. I mean, we didn't know if you were alive or dead. I can just hear the concern and the love in his mother's question. We've been searching for you. Why did you put us to all this trouble? We were so afraid we lost you. We were so worried. I haven't slept or ate for three days. Boy, were we worried. Jesus probably looked up as his mother with a questioning look that most human teenagers would do and say, why were you worried, Mom? <laughs> then comes our anchor verse for today. Verse 49. Christ made a rational and religious reply and said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? I'm just sitting here taking care of business, Mom. Which maybe should have been the title for my sermon, Just Taking Care of Business. It can't get any clearer than that, can it? I'm in my father's house taking care of his business. Why were you looking for me? You know I must be here. Which shows us his sense of duty and how much God was controlling his life. I'm supposed to be in my father's house. I'm supposed to be in my father's things, doing my father's business, sitting right here, taking care of business. See, he understood that teaching would be a central part of his ministry and that his first priority was to do his father's work. In the Greek... It says, in the things of my father, as Christ was saying, as if Christ was saying, I must be in my father's things. He sent me to do this. My mission is that I might do the will of him who sent me. This is why I'm in this world, to promote his glory, to pro propagate his truth, and to be a magnet to draw souls to his kingdom. The Amplified Version or the Amplified Bible puts it this way, and he said to them, how is it that you had to look for me? Did you not see and know that it was necessary 
as a duty for me to be in my father's house and occupied about my father's business. The King James also states, I must be about my father's business. The German Luther Bible says, Ich sein muss in dem, das meines Vaters ist. I'm, I have to be in that that is, in my, that is my father. See, my father's house, my father's business, my father's things, that which is my father's, these are the words of Christ. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? It's so straightforward. There's no hidden meaning here. There's no allegorical or anagogical interpretation of this verse. It's plain meaning. I must be doing the work that my father wants me to do. That's the literal interpretation of this. That's the plain meaning. And poor Pastor Dan had to explain the book of Daniel to y'all. And I got to pick one straightforward verse. It is, that's, yeah, there's a whole, we could talk about that too, but never mind. From Christ's example, we learn that it is the duty of every Christian to make religion their business. That's the business of the church. Religion is not to be secondary in our lives or to be the thing we get around to. It must be the first. Paul made it his primary objective to know Christ and to be found in Christ. Paul moved swiftly. He made religion his business quickly. Now, we all know that the world has a different idea of the word religion, don't we? Even many so-called Christians don't like to use the word religion. I mean, how many times have you heard a pastor say from the pulpit, well, I don't really like to use the word religion. The word religion is in the Bible. Our religion is Christ and Christ crucified. Amen? Amen. So what is meant by the word religion? Well, in the Latin, it signifies a knitting together. Thomas Watson puts it like this. Sin has loosened us from God, but when religion comes into the heart, it fastens the heart to God again. Just like our chest and arms and legs are knitted to the head by tendons and ligaments, religion is that spiritual sinew and ligaments that knits us to God. The Greek word for religion signifies a right worship. It's religion when we worship the true God in the right manner in which he prescribed by the right rule, for the right purpose, by the right principle, to the right end. And, and what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Whether it be when we worship him or when we minister to each other or when we evangelize to the world. This is why we make religion our business, to bear fruit and bring glory to God. In today's sermon, since you all know that the church does not mean this building or some great edifice on a hill somewhere, when I use the word church or believer or Christian, I'm referring to basically the same thing. 
the true believer that makes up the true church, or as sometimes referred to, the true universal church of Christ. What is the business of the true church? What is our objective? What is our task? Our purpose. There are three parts to our purpose, or ministries, as I like to say. There are three ministries of the church. First and foremost, we must worship and glorify God. The believers are to minister to God. The word minister here is the verb that means to tend to, to care for, and to serve. We are to worship him either individually or in corporate worship on Lord's Day like today. Colossians 3.16 puts it like this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Christ said in Luke 10:27, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself." This is how we care for and serve God and bring glory to him. This is the business of the church to serve God and to bring glory to his name. The second ministry of the church or the second obligation of the church or the second duty of the church is again the word minister. The verb means to wait on or nurse or attend to or help to sharpen each other, to help each other grow spiritually as Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So we build each other up in the faith. This is the business of the church. This is how we glorify God and serve Him, by making religion our business. And the third and final duty or minister is to minister to the world both in evangelism and mercy and this word minister is this respect is both the verb and the noun to help to tend to and look after yet also to evangelize and preach the word Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19 and 20 this is one of my favorite passages. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. In addition to that, Christ instructs his followers to love their enemies. Luke 6, 35 and 36 but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. When the church fulfills these three ministries, 
to God, to each other, and to the world. We are fulfilling the purposes he has for the church, the believer, and the Christian. So what is the business of the church? We are to make religion our business, to bear fruit and glorify God. It is the duty of every Christian to bear fruit and make religion their business. Have you made religion your business? I know I've failed many times. Has religion been your primary goal in your daily life? I get caught up. I'm sure other people do too. I get caught up in the world and forget where I'm at and take my eyes off Jesus. You may ask, why must we make religion our business? Well, now that we know what our business is, this is why. Why do we make religion our business? Because Christ is our example. We make religion our business because Christ did. Christ made religion his business. All Christians have a great duty of making religion their business. Christ went about his father's work at a very young age because it was proper and correct to do so. It was his mission to do so. It is also our mission to do so. Christians should make religion their business because Christ did. We do this out of love and fear of God. Making religion our business is the sweetest of pleasures. It's like a mother that tends to her child and sometimes has strength beyond her normal capacity. It gives inward contentment. We make religion our business because it should be a matter of our highest priority. When we are serving God, we are doing his work and bringing glory to him. Our business, the business of religion infinitely outbalances all other worldly things. Pleasure and profit and honor, these things are the things that the world adores. All these things are inferior to religion and must give way to our faith in Jesus Christ and our fear of the Lord. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. The fear of God is the whole duty of man. Rather than causing us to be afraid of God, a proper fear of the Lord leads us to love and respect him. Other things may delight, but religion satisfies. Other things may make us wise for admiration. Religion makes us wise for salvation. When we read the Bible and make religion our business, we become wise in the faith. For it is written in 2 Timothy 3.15, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, in Jesus Christ. So then, why do we make religion our business? This is why. We have faith in Jesus Christ's example, number one. Number two, we fear the Lord. For that's the beginning of wisdom. The men's group have been studying Proverbs. Proverbs 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of 
the Holy One is in sight. Fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and leads us to understand Him better. Number three, we glorify God. It is the chief end of man. It is our business to glorify God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So, number one, are you following Christ's example? Number two, do you truly fear the Lord? And number three, have you made it your business to glorify God in everything you do? These are just three reasons why we must make religion our business. And honestly, I fall short on all three of them many times. But I strive, like any good Christian should strive, to make all three of them a priority. In an effort to keep this sermon short, I'm not going to give you any more reasons why. We'll move on to the next point. Um, now that we know what religion is and why we must make it important, you must be asking, well, how do I make religion my business? How do I apply this to my daily life, my daily routine? Well, you know, we all, as Christians, sometimes run into sin. I'd say there's no good man that has not done something bad in his life. However, the course of a Christian's life is righteousness. And when he deviates to sin, he soon repents and rededicates himself to God. You might compare Christians to a company of sailors. No, not Sarasota sailors. But you may compare them to sailors that are bound for some far-off coast they meet with such a crosswind that it turns them back and drives them in the opposite direction. However, as soon as the storm is over, they recover the craft and they start back and head back in the right direction. We must fully devote ourselves to religion. We make religion our business when we devote our attention to the business of religion. Did you get that? Let me repeat that. We make religion our business when we devote our attention to the business of religion. It seems simple, but Matthew 6, says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. First in time, before all things. First in affection, above all things. We must give religion precedent, making all other things subordinate to it. This is how we make religion our business. All our thoughts should be on Christ and doing God's work. We should make it our number one priority. Serving God should be our whole objective. Like Paul, his ultimate goal was that Christ might be magnified and the church edified. Our thoughts and deeds must bring glory to God. We make religion our business when... The glory of God is in our hearts and on our hands. 
the whole intent of our lives should be to live for him who died for us. When Jesus is the center of our universe, our actions will revolve around him. We must take time away from secular things of life for the things and service of God. Our stock is in heaven. A man may live in one place and drive his goods to another. A man may live in Sarasota but drive his goods to Tampa. This is how a Christian lives. He lives in this world, but he, his stock is in heaven. This is how we make religion our business. Our fellowship with him is the distinguishing mark of the born-again believer. We commune with the Father and the Son. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, that, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with him. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Today, God comes to us by the Holy Spirit, and we go up to him by the power of prayer. We keep in holy communication with God. That's where our treasure should be. That's where our treasure should lie, with God in heaven. Set aside some time for the service of God. That's what a good Christian would do. He gathers up all the time he can for religion. That's how you make religion your business. But Randall, are you saying I should take time away from my entertainment, my rest, my sleep to make religion my business? King David, having tasted how sweet the Lord was, would borrow time from his own sleep that he might worship the Lord. Psalm 119, verse 62, At midnight I rise to worship you, to praise you because of your righteousness rules. I can tell you, those can be the best hours which are spent with God. Thomas Watson wrote this, It well becomes a Christian to make time from worldly occasions, sinful dressing, and idle visits, that they may be more intent upon the matters of religion. That is how we make religion our business. When we're so busy with the things of the Father that we scarcely have leisure time, Christian, Christians should have a good should have God. Sorry. I'm getting emotional here. We have a God to serve and a gospel to share. If you have any religion in you. You will be mindful of how your time is spent. Don't borrow time from worship and prayer. Borrow time from worldly things so that you might have more time to spend with God. This is how we make religion our business. We serve God with all our might. We seek, we sweat, we strive, we exert ourselves as if our life, as if it was a matter of life and death, as if our life depended upon it. We put forth not only diligence, but ferocity and strength. Become a zealot for Christ, a diehard activist. 
We are to shake off the worldly idleness that people have come to expect. Example, King David. When King David brought home the ark of God to Jerusalem, he celebrated with everything that was in him. 2 Samuel 6, verse 14. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod, or aphod, or I don't know how to pronounce it. But he danced before the Lord with all his might. This is how we make religion our business. Now, I've never danced before the Lord, honestly. I've never danced before the Lord. But the point I'm trying to make is we go about the master's work with zeal. We must not only pray, but pray passionately and enthusiastically. We must not only repent, but we zealously repent. This is how it it is to be a Christian with purpose and make religion your business. We devote ourselves fully. We keep our thoughts focused. We trade with Christ daily in holy communication. We strive to make time to serve the Lord. We serve him with all our might. This is how we make religion our business. We put forth all our might and passion into religion. We must work swiftly like Paul. Where are all the godly men and women of this world, of this generation? Where are today's Peter and Paul? Where is Rachel and Hannah? Where is today's Ruth and Naomi? Where is today's Timothy and James and John, the ones who boldly professed their faith and did not waver, the ones that fought for religion. Do you strive hard for the Lord? Has the true church, the true believer, the true Christian completely disappeared? Does Jesus Christ's religion even exist today? Or is it so diluted with modern ideas that it has no flavor? Is it so lukewarm that God would spit it out of his mouth? Let me share a verse with y'all. James chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Have you devoted yourself fully? Do you keep your thoughts focused on Jesus Christ in holy communication? Do you strive to serve the Lord? Well, those are my three points. And in conclusion, I would urge all Christians to make religion their business by doing God's work. Not that doing God's work earns your salvation. That's not the point of this sermon. The point of this sermon is that, number one, after you have faith with Christ, number two, after you develop a healthy fear of God, then you make religion your business in everything you do so you may glorify God because you love your Father. Just like a a young man works hard for his dear old dad because he loves his dad. We find secret delight in doing so, in keeping his precepts. There is great reward that the sweetness, 
that is in religion the re- in regard to the inward peace which God gives is oh so sweet. While a Christian is serving God, there is that inward contentment and delight infused. Again, I'm going to quote Thomas Watson, one of my favorite dead theologians. He said this about contentment. He meets with such transfiguration of soul that he thinks himself half in heaven. That's how sweet it is to make religion your business. In John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. The joy which God gives us in this life is enough to make us fall in love with his service. Now, on the other hand, if you do not have faith in Christ, if you haven't developed a healthy fear of God, and you haven't grown in the spirit enough to bear fruit, then you haven't made religion your business. Oh, you may have done some good in your life, for we know that there is no man so bad that he does not do some good in his life. Yet you are lukewarm and bland. You have no fire. You have no zeal. You have not served God. And if you have not served God, then you only serve yourself. You sin enthusiastically, but pray very little. God has not been a top priority for you. Therefore, you will come to grief in eternity. Oh, if you could only see a wicked man's tombstone in hell, it might read like this, Here lies one in hellish flames for not making religion his business. How many ships on the high sea have suffered shipwreck despite their glorious and wonderful names? The hope the safeguard, the triumph. Likewise, how many souls are in despair even though they have glorious titles of sainthood and have suffered shipwreck and come to grief in eternity, in hell forever for the lack of making religion their business. It's a three-part deal, people. It's three simple parts. You come to faith in Jesus Christ. You learn to fear him properly. Then you go out and do his work. They're all interconnected. First you have faith, then you fear God, then you bear fruit for God by making religion your business. Beloved, I want you to remember this. Mark 16, 16. Whoever believes and is, and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Faith in Christ is the only way to salvation. If you do not know Christ, 
Turn and face the cross now. Cast yourself on Christ and then dedicate yourself to him so that you will have everlasting joy in heaven. Then, then when the world tempts you, you can say by the Holy Spirit, I must be about my father's business. Let them laugh and call you names, call you a fanatic because you are now in your father's business. Let's bow our heads, loved ones, in prayer. Our Father in heaven, holy and sacred is your name. We are so grateful today that you have given us this clear teaching from your word. By the example of your son, Jesus Christ, may we see this type of character in our life. Father, we pray that we would make religion our business, that we would affect a change in this world, that we would produce fruit for you, that we would consistently make religion our business. This kind of commitment to these basic principles are timeless and changeless. Father, we pray that from our actions, your word would reach the world. Lord, help us make disciples for you that they may produce more fruit and make more disciples as the Great Commission has commanded. That we would be ready when you come again, O long-expected Jesus, and raise us to thy glorious throne in heaven. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.